Yo, hey everyone, it's Adrienne here. Welcome back to the podcast. So this week's episode, I'm joined by Dan Murray-Serta. Dan and I connected last year and he is an awesome guy. He is super smart. He's an entrepreneur, very innovative and creative, and he's doing some awesome stuff over on Clubhouse right now. So if you enjoy this episode, then I definitely encourage you to check him out and dive into the Clubhouse scene. So we did have some technical issues, unfortunately, uh, post-recording this episode, as we are all doing our best working from home. We're trying to keep the episodes coming every single week. And so big shout out to my producer, Jack, who did an amazing job of piecing this episode together. I did have to re-record a few things. So appreciate your patience. Just wanted to be honest and say, you know what, sometimes things don't go to plan sometimes there's technical issues but we keep it moving and I really wanted to put out this episode because I just really know that you're going to love hearing what Dan has to say so let's dive in to this week's episode welcome to the power hour I'm Adrienne Herbert wellness coach international speaker and author Each week, I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Firstly, how are you? Yeah, I'm awesome. Thank you, Adrian. You've just caught me um, coming back from a 20-week scan from my new baby daughter that will be arriving in August and everything is fine. So I'm very happy. Wow. Congratulations. That is so exciting. What a great day. Well, thank you for finding the time to talk to us today. I was recently a guest on your podcast, Secret Leaders. It was such a great conversation. So I'm really happy to be flipping the mic today and asking you the questions. So for anyone listening who doesn't know much about you or the work that you do, Dan is an entrepreneur and founder of Heights. Heights is a brain care brand. They've created smart supplements, plant-based supplements that support brain health and mental well-being. So Dan, for the last few years, I definitely feel like I've seen in the health and wellness space much more of a focus and attention on brain health and brain care, everything from optimizing cognitive function and sleep and performance. So I'd love to hear from you about the work that you do, but also to try and understand why do you think now more than ever before there is such a focus in the wellness industry on brain care and brain health? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And I think like a lot of people that um, become aware, especially, you know, at my age, I'm early 30s, you know, it's quite young to be interested in brain health, generally speaking, because when you say brain health, you really think of people in their 50s. That's really the age where people start to care because a lot of brain health things are related to degenerative disease, cognitive decline, obviously Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, all of these things, they, they... um, start to put the fear of God into everyone at 50 and you become really engaged in your brain's health. And actually, all the research suggests that 
this is something you really need to take conscious care of in your 30s. Um, and actually, our brains are shrinking from the age of 25, but it doesn't need to be a terrifying thing. What that really means is your brains are growing until you're 25. And at that point, it's just the process of life, right? We are uh, human beings that decay a little bit over time. And the whole point of wellness is to extend our health span alongside our lifespan. So the reason, sadly, that I became interested in brain health was because I wasn't taking care of my brain and I wasn't consciously aware of my behavior or what I was lacking and I consequently ended up I ended up with quite a bad mental health condition so um, it was a few years ago now so about three or four years ago I was running a tech company so I was running a company called Grabble which was doing very well that company did fail sadly but um, at the time it was doing really well we'd raised a few million pounds we were the number one shopping app in the UK we were doing all sorts of exciting things and um, my uh, in my personal life I was very happy I was getting uh, married in the you know, next year, and my mum had just recovered from cancer, and I'm a very glass half full practice gratitude kind of guy. And then one night I just couldn't sleep. Um, the next night I couldn't sleep, and the night after, and I was just really confused about what was going on because, you know, I'd had various mental health conditions before. When my father passed away, I was depressed for quite a long period, about six months or so. But you know that that's normal, I think. Um, when I was extremely stressed in my business when it had first started. You know, I gave myself burnout um, and I ended up in bed for about a month. Um, again, you know, extreme, but rational, rationally you can understand why these things happen because they are event circumstances in your life. When everything was going incredibly well and I suddenly couldn't sleep, I got very confused and I, I did try and do all of the things that you would do. So, you know, I... I you know, try to meditate. I did calm and sleepio, and I went to a sleep therapist, a normal therapist. I went to the doctor. He gave me sleeping pills, which I didn't take um, because I didn't think that was really going to be a long-term solution. Um, just for clarity, like I ended up with um, insomnia for five and a half months. So it was really chronic, really terrible, and just completely debilitating. And I was, you know, at the same time, the CEO of this you know, scaling company with a professional board of investors and all this stuff. And I would go into those meetings and have full-blown panic attacks where I'd never had that before, right? I would have, you know, hot and cold sweats suddenly, like just in the middle of these meetings and I'd have to leave and excuse myself whilst doing a presentation. It was highly embarrassing and not very professional. And it was a few years ago. I'm not saying that like people aren't aware of mental health four years ago, but I am saying that I guess it was just less common. Um, it was just a really debilitating situation. So my chronic anxiety came in. Um, anyway, without going into it too much, it's fair to say it was a horrible experience. Um, I was living with my wife at the at the time, but very funnily enough, um, you know, she's like the world's best sleeper ever. So <laughs> insomnia was an ironically perfect mental health problem to have around someone who sleeps like a log all day, all night, sorry. Um, so and some of the day, definitely. Uh, but the reality is I went for dinner with a friend and she was the one who said to me, have you ever heard of brain nutrition? And I was like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. You sound a bit weird to me. And she said, you should go and see a dietitian. Have you done that? And I was like, no, I haven't. And she's like, well, why not? And so I actually went to the doctor. He never mentioned anything like a dietitian. He actually just gave me sleeping pills. Um, and and anyway, you know, what is a dietitian? Is that basically just a nutritionist? Um, 
and I know that sounds really dumb, but I I didn't know. And one of the things is, you know, I'd been on Instagram and I guess my trust had been eroded by seeing how many nutritionists there seemed to be. Not really understanding the difference between like qualified nutritionists, good ones, bad ones, and then what a dietitian is at all. So she explained to me a dietitian deals with sick people um, and nutritionists deal with healthy people. And I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. So anyway, I went to this dietitian on the NHS. Um, she literally diagnosed me within one minute um very quickly i explained to her what what my symptoms were what was going on what i'd already tried that i was five and a half months in and she basically prescribed me dha omega-3 supplements blueberry extract supplements and b vitamin complex and i was highly skeptical because i was not a supplement taker and i did not think that you know again i'd seen loads of supplements on social media and all these sensationalist headlines about how they don't work and i just was very much like no this is nonsense right anyway she was a bit exasperated, told me to do it. I went and bought them. They were prescribed, so they were like quite expensive, as in, you know, I had to get proper ones. She was like, just avoid Boots and Holland and Barrett because you don't get the right nutrient amounts in them and you need the proper scientific dosages. So I followed her instructions. A week later of taking these supplements, I was already sleeping like a baby for the first time. I slept till 7am. I woke up the next day feeling unbelievably rested and delighted. My anxiety was just like going away by the day. And I called her up in sheer excitement and delight to thank her for changing my life and instead of being like really warm and receiving to this amazing information like you might imagine she would be she was just literally passive and exasperated and she said yes I know (sighs) good for you etc and I was like wow what is with the tone like this is supposed to be an exciting call you're supposed to be happy for me and she's like to be honest with you I knew I know this would work I I it just it works with everyone and this is nothing new to me and I'm happy for you but I am just a bit tired with just how difficult it seems to be to explain to people that nutrition and indeed supplements when people can't get the right nutrition and your brain is a very hungry organ that is quite complicated to feed she's like I just wish more people would not think of this as the last resort after all the stuff you've gone through and she said something that really stuck with me which was everyone thinks that the way to improve their mental health or hack their mental performance is all about dealing with yourself on a psychological level, like your mindset, like talking to yourself, like therapy, like loneliness. She's like, all of those things are important, of course, but we know those things to be true. What's annoying is that no one does the dual track of nutrition at the same time. So she's like, you came to me as the last resort by chance because someone told you to go and see a dietitian. But imagine if you'd have just started on your journey of trying to improve your mental health five and a half months ago and chosen nutrition at the same time you know like why don't people do that so she was just incredibly annoyed so like her her parting words of you're trying to treat everything on a psychological level but your brain is an organ and on a physiological and biological level according to science which is my job um i knew this stuff would work so forgive me for not like joining in the parade i'm just a bit annoyed that instagram has basically created this situation where health professionals like me have to argue with customers like yourself that this is a possibility so it was a really eye-opening conversation her whole attitude and irritation just sparked this curiosity in me that hasn't gone away since that this is a really exciting problem to solve because um, the science is there the results are there the information is there the science papers like all of the evidence is there but like there is no consumer adoption or awareness at all and that includes like in the medical industry because my doctor didn't even recommend i see a a dietitian right so that was part of the annoyance for her as well so when you hear all these things 
that is if you're an entrepreneur if you're a creator if you're into brands and communication that provides an amazing platform for you to be like i reckon this is a really exciting space to build uh, a life in right so that was actually my spark because i'd had a personal experience and i wanted more people to understand the benefit and importance of brain health and brain nutrition so that that was how it started mm, okay well it's interesting that you yeah describe nutrition as feeling like that last resort because yeah i still think that that the conversation that we hear when it comes to mind mental health anxiety depression sleep even mood and energy that we are told the conversation still seems to be around you know doing mindfulness exercises and sleep and journaling and meditation and yeah of course all of those things are important and helpful but it's doesn't need to be separate from the fact that yeah the mind lives within an organ the brain you know it's an organ just like the heart the liver the lungs and that organ you know has specific functions so yeah of course diet and fueling and and nutrition has to play a big part but I'll be honest with you Dan I definitely think you know I probably a few years ago was quite skeptical when it comes to supplements you know people would always ask me oh Adrienne do you take supplements and I'd be like or or prebiotics probiotics I was always just quite skeptical and I think that is because you know there are some huge claims on some of the brands in the wellness industry you know the claims that they whether it's about anti-cancer or you know dementia or claims around as I said optimizing our performance you know cognitive function concentration focus everything from the adaptogenic mushrooms coffee CBD there's all these there's so many brands out there that are kind of wading into this space that it can be quite difficult to figure out okay what's real what's hype and what's not so I think maybe I fell into the category as well of thinking well you know if I have a balanced diet if I exercise and sleep well I'm young then do I really need to take supplements you know are they necessary or is it just yeah are they just expensive are they just a a money-making thing so I definitely was skeptical but I've learned a lot about supplements in the last year so yeah, I definitely don't hold those beliefs anymore. But I'd be interested to hear from you, Dan, uh, on what you think of yeah the wellness industry and, and some of the claims that some brands make when it comes to brain health and brain care. The other side to this, I mean, it's so interesting hearing you say that because the, the, interest, the other interesting issue is, and again, this is something that doctors have to be very careful with. Medical professionals have to be very careful. And I mean, having had a, having got a few friends who are well-known medical professionals, I know that this is annoying, but they have to say, they have to toe the party line, right? Which is completely true. But it's things like, um, you know, you should get this all in your whole food. You should always follow a whole food balanced diet. You should do this. You should do that. And 100%, like we know that to be true. I completely agree. And at heights... Um, we've always said, and we say it in all of our newsletters, you know, this whole company started off as a newsletter and I started off by always saying, um, th- well, actually the whole newsletter literally started off with me sharing brain food recipes because I kind of thought that's what company we were going to make before we ever made a supplement. I thought we were going to be, um, you know, make, literally making food, brain food. Um, but it turns out I'm an awful chef. So that one did not take off at all. I'm awful at cooking. So it just became, and also just doing it, I realized how expensive, how difficult it is, how much volume of food you need. And that's if you're a meat eater, let alone if you're vegetarian or vegan, it gets absolutely ridiculous. Like how niche the food is that you have to feed your diet like you'd be eating a kilo of flaxseed because that's a vegan's argument and I was vegan by the way 
so I can say this, a vegetarian now, but, you know, you, people talk about ALA as like the omega-3 your brain needs, but it doesn't. It needs DHA because that's, your brain is 20, your brain is 60% fat and 90% of that fat is one compound, which is DHA. And vegans don't get that in their diet because it usually comes from fish. Fish get it from algae, but most vegans do not sit down and have a plate of seaweed for dinner. So you don't often eat algae and so you don't usually get the natural source. And so where this little rant is going is, we all hear our doctors tell us about the things that we should definitely be eating and our whole food diets if we were perfect. But the problem is that most people are not. And most people do not have the time, energy or effort to really think about how to have the perfect diet all the time. And I think that's where supplements can be really handy. I definitely think that most people should make the effort to cook these things properly every single day. But the problem is that they don't, because this is actually a behavior challenge, not not uh, not anything else, right? As in, we know, we know most of the things to be true. But sometimes rooting for that perfectionism is the thing that actually stops 99% of people from continuing. So like the 1% that are amazing with their mindset, habits, doing the right things all of the time, those are like exactly the right people when doctors say this is what you should do. They're the perfect audience. But there is a reason for so much mental health problem in society, for obesity epidemics, etc. And it's because we do overcomplicate things. We expect people to be perfect. And actually, it's quite hard. So I think some of this understanding um, as well, you know, is important if you're an entrepreneur as well, because like you you understand that doctors will say the same things to patients over and over and over again, and then wonder why the those same patients come back not changed a year later. Yeah, because it's not always as simple as being told what you should do by a doctor, because we know behavior change is difficult. So being told what you should do doesn't always mean that it's going to be possible for everyone. And we know there's also other things at play, such as social economic factors and education. And, you know, I too also have friends who work for the NHS, doctors, GPs. And although the NHS is brilliant, you know, it's underfunded and they're time poor. And it can be very, very difficult for them to give the kind of individual one-to-one care, like really specific to that patient and their needs. But also the restrictions on what they can and can't say whether they believe in it or not. Like... I I do feel bad for them sometimes. I think that must be an an unbelievably annoying situation to be in. I mean, they do so much more than recommend products, obviously. So it's really not, it's not a big deal. But I know that some of them do get annoyed. Like even well-known, funny enough, even though they're not medically regulated. I know a lot of very well-known nutritionists who all like literally have told me that 100% of their, 100% genuinely of their um, customers they've recommended supplements to but they've never once publicly talked about supplements on social media because they're scared of repercussions like that's crazy that just shows how like politicized giving advice that you believe in is yeah absolutely i i don't envy them as you say there's restrictions there's guidelines around what they can say and also then you add in social media and potentially thousands or hundreds of thousands are of people are taking this information and it's not individual and specific so yeah i think it's very it's a very complex and difficult one. But uh, Dan, I was listening to something this week that kind of really freaked me out, actually, when it comes to, you know, taking care of our brains. And it was talking about how, you know, typically in our 20s and 30s, maybe our 40s, we don't really think about, yeah, brain health and brain function and cognitive function, because we don't necessarily see it going wrong until later on in life. And what this specific doctor said was that he described it as the house 
um, the brain being a house and said that by the time you maybe experience cognitive impairment or Alzheimer's dementia, the house, the brain is actually, he described it as the house is on fire. And by that point, it is too late to put the fire out. Whereas in your 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, there'll be these little flames, these little things that potentially we could um, improve, but we don't really notice them because they don't impact us that much. So therefore it's, you know, we just ignore it as opposed to the more, the things that we think were a bit more tangible. So whether it's physical training and exercise and how our bodies look and feel or nutrition or sleep, those things we probably think about when we're younger because we may be more motivated to make positive changes. And it really, honestly, it really stuck with me, this, the way he described this, like, you know, house on fire because of my grandma. So my grandma actually had Alzheimer's dementia and it was terrible. It was terrifying and so surprising to me how quickly, how quickly it impacted her. Same, same. My grandmother died of Alzheimer's and I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. And by the way, like my my father died of you know, multiple things very slowly and I've had lots of different death in my in my family in my life and I've never seen something as bad as Alzheimer's it's still the worst thing that I've personally seen someone go through yeah me too I mean my nan oh my gosh she was a wonderful wonderful woman but she you know she was physically her body was 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 great you know she could still run for the bus she used to go to church she used to go to bingo she was active and yeah it was really sad actually to see the impact that Alzheimer's dementia had on um, the end of her life but you know not to you know I don't want to kind of scare people who are listening to this podcast but I do think you know whether it's people in their 20s in their 30s in their 40s like what are the things we can be thinking about now you know sooner rather than later and I guess a positive takeaway from this is that there are things that we can do and I Mm. certainly feel like more people are learning about this stuff it's becoming it seems more mainstream you know i'm hearing people talking about it on podcasts i'm seeing more books coming out about brain health i think people are starting to seek that information whether it's about nutrition or about the things that they can do now to take care of their brains as well as their bodies so do you agree do you think that we that this message is becoming more mainstream I do feel like this is very early. So I have to say like two things. One is that I think you are in the industry and so am I. And when you are in the wellness industry, you will feel like the messaging is shifting and everyone knows about brain health and everyone's talking about it. But I can assure you as the founder of a brain health company, my God, it's early. Like every single person that I talk to about brain nutrition, about brain care in general, um, they've never heard of it and they ask me what I'm talking about and you know and what what like what even is this that I'm referring to and when you have a normal conversation with people and you say you know when's the last time you ate something for your brain's health no one that I speak to broadly speaking has an answer for that and if you say do you understand that your brain is declining and that literally feeding it nutrients that it needs is one of the most if not the most scientifically proven including by all the top researchers and doctors and scientists in the space um, ways to prevent that they say no Um, and so you know there's two sides to this right I am all I'm you get really good at this as an entrepreneur which is you constantly have to remember that actually no one broadly knows what you're talking about and that you exist in a bubble a very fortunate bubble because this is important stuff to know about. But actually, the job of my company, Heights, is literally to communicate the value of brain care 
And we've been really specific with our language. We don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about cognitive decline. We don't even talk about brain health because we learned that no one really um, connects these things and cares. But we invented this term called brain care because we took inspiration from skin care and hair care and nail care and oral care, all these spaces where the behavior, and this is the important thing, the behavior in these industries is all designed around daily steps to improve overall longevity, right? So, you know, the idea of brushing your teeth is a perfect example. You don't see anything that day from brushing your teeth, but you're preventing tooth decay. And we are, we as humans are decaying. So our brains are decaying too. So we've tried really hard. We've done so many polls over the last couple of years, thousands of people in our research studies. And we've learned that actually brain health, mental well-being, um, especially mental health, which really people just jump to as, you know, um, you've got a problem, right? These are all terms that really, uh, you know, they don't land, they don't register the right emotion, they don't give the right consideration. Quite often, they build up immediate psychological walls in people's minds about what they're willing or not willing to engage in the conversation about. So, the reason that we invented our own term around brain care was so that we can differentiate a little bit because we are, again, our number one job as a brand is communication, is trying to bring people on a journey and start a movement around brain care. Because like you said, once you um, are trying to put out the fire, it's often already too late. So how do you do that? Well, you're a big proponent of wellness and well-being. So same thing applies. You need to think about how daily habits and daily practices of care will build up to make people live longer, feel better. And all of these small, tiny acts compound rather than anything big and drastic at the time. So my first point there is I I really don't believe that um, this is broadly adopted in society. But then to address your actual question more directly, the reason why the wellness industry is jumping at it, I think is... Is, is partly because over the last 10 years, we've seen a revolution, maybe 15 years, a revolution in this idea that is essentially my personal philosophy. And I learned this after my father passed away from ill health, um, that prevention is the cure. So there is no cure on earth better than prevention. Now, that doesn't mean that by living the perfect life, you will avoid everything. Of course, you can't just say that you'll avoid cancer as a perfect example. But You want to give yourself the best chance of having a great life. And health is wealth. And I'm not just going to say like a whole bunch of buzzwords, but just to put things into like practical perspective, without that fundamental human right, you're already at a disadvantage. And when you talk about mental health, there are so many ways to have your mental health jeopardized, whether it's like, you know, microaggressions like negative self-talk or stress or they're things that build up into something major like insomnia and chronic anxiety or depressive episodes where you just can't connect to a purpose or a sense of why you need to get up in the morning. You know, I've gone through all of those really. Um, And, you know, as an entrepreneur also, you know, imposter syndrome and negative self-talk is a regular thing that I uh, constantly try and and, and get better at with myself by practicing self-compassion. But the truth of the matter is the wellness industry has got onto this because there is probably financially increasing demand because people are starting to understand it. So the old school chat that you would hear is, you know, separating out like mind and body massively. Um, Now, if you think about what people 
understand today versus what they understood 10 to 15 years ago the whole entire healthcare system is really a sick care system right so it's completely designed to take care of us after we've got sick and financially the pharmaceutical companies all based on um, patented scientific ingredients that they can float on stock market prices etc now without getting overly political um the so i'll take it back a step the reality is the wellness industry, which is about prevention, represents a tiny sliver of the sick care industry, as I'll just define it here. Um, Now, financially, the incentives are all wrong. But what you're seeing over the last 10 to 15 years is brands like Nike, you know, Nike getting people running, Lululemon getting people doing yoga, um, Peloton getting people cycling, um, Fit getting people to exercise in their in their living rooms. Like these are brands with communities that are actually creating a physical wellness movement. And you know, we can go on. There's like obviously there's the protein companies, right? There's Maxi Muscle, there's Protein World. Like these guys are not just about selling a product. They're about encouraging you to be the person you want to become with encouraging images of well-being. Um, you know, protein powder does not make you fit. Doing exercise makes you fit. But the protein powder is like a, a statement of intent. You buy it, you have your statement of intent. When we were all out in offices, you'd walk around with your protein shaker. That was weird 10 years ago. But like over two or three years ago, that was like a status symbol, right? As was wearing your Lululemon leggings. And all these things are status symbols about the person you want to become. And that requires community. That requires a movement. But that also requires, you know, some physical data that people are getting healthier. And they understand that you are what you eat. And you are the person that you're behaving as right now not the person you were not the person you want to be but the person you are today with your habits i know that you're big into this obviously with your practices for the power hour so where does this all come back to on your question we've seen that to be the movement over the last 10 to 15 years in our physical bodies and we now understand more broadly as a society that the better we look after our physical health the better we will feel and the longer that we will live. It's really common sense when you break it down. So how can the same not be true about our brains? That's the real question. So how could it not be true that by giving ourselves a bit of space, by feeding our brains premium fuel that it needs to thrive, by hydrating, by thinking about breathing properly, obviously meditating, by doing some of these things, how could it not be true that doing those things are going to be the solution to so many of these mental health problems. So again, the problem has been, in my opinion, the mental health industry, which is part of the sick care industry, has all been about helping people after they get sick and not enough attention about how to avoid getting sick or how to notice the warning signs or how to give yourself the best chance you humanly can, especially in stressful times like now, to look after yourself. It all comes down to well-being. So Why has the wellness industry started to take notice of it? Probably because consumers have started to realise that this is common sense because there is probably increasing budget there and because, frankly, the biggest challenge you don't really want to get stuck in is trying to massively educate a market about something they won't listen to. So the whole space has previously been around cognitive decline because over 50s will buy the products. But now people in their 30s and 40s are waking up to the fact, like you said, You want to sprinkle some water over these things as they go over. You do not want a fire hose, you know, uh, catching the fire once it's too late. So I'm sorry, I know that was a bit of a rant, but I guess there are two sides of my perspective there. 
No, this is great. Damn, this is great. And I, yeah, I suppose it's that chicken and egg. So, you know, if there is more awareness and if there is more of a consumer demand and if people do want this information, then hopefully, yeah, I guess the response from the wellness industry, there'll be more products, more services, more conversations, more people like yourself educating and sharing knowledge. And yeah, so I suppose that chicken and egg uh, thing will will continue. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So for anyone listening to this episode today, who maybe, maybe as you describe, you know, we're in this wellness bubble, maybe someone listening to this has never considered some of this before and they're thinking, wow, okay, this is something I want to learn more about, something I need to start taking seriously and I want to take better care of my brain for now and for the future. So I'd love if you could talk to us about some practical things that people can do. So we've touched a little bit, we've talked a lot obviously around nutrition and I think the, the common areas people probably have heard information already around brain care are things like movement, exercise, you know, hydration, even breath work, meditation, rest and sleep. But I know with the content that you put out online, you talk about the 10 pillars of brain care. So the ones I'd love to hear more about from you, Dan, are compassion, learning and self-care. So Dan, can you share with us some more info about these three pillars, why those things are so important and how they are going to help to look after our brains. Great question. Okay. So, um, you know, some of the things that you've alluded to, obviously we're speaking right now, I know it won't be published this week, but we're speaking in Brain Health Awareness Week. Um, after, you know, it's worth saying that on a personal level, my company Heights, you know, it started before I ever made a product, it started by writing newsletters. So I would read science papers on how to take care of your brain, literally published in PubMed. So official science papers that I knew people weren't reading. And then I would rewrite them in plain English and make things super simple for people. And just one science paper rewritten every single week in plain English about how to take care of your brain. Um, you know, we're 150 newsletters in now. So I've written that, still goes out every single Sunday. Um, on top of that, and the Brain Care podcast, where I probably had about 100 interviews with, with different scientific uh, leaders now, I have a good sense, uh, you know, after spending this time and also listening to customers about what brain care really means and how to simplify it. Um, you know, the it's worth saying like this week, we publish for the first time our 10 principles of brain care, which anyone can see at yourheights.com forward slash brain care. And the ones that you've highlighted, because obviously there is overlap, like you say, of like really obvious things that we would think about, like nutrition, like hydration, like breath. Um, The ones that you're particularly interested in and I love talking about, compassion. So there's two sides to compassion. The first is self-compassion. And in terms of uh, understanding like a brilliant author on this space and thinker in this space, Dr. Kristen Neff is brilliant about self-compassion, um, you know, as is Brene Brown, to be honest, but, you know, worth worth reading and checking their work out. Um, 
But really, the world's leading expert on compassion is a guy called Dr. James Doty. And it's worth saying that he's actually working currently with uh, with Meghan and Harry um, on on a compassion project that's a little bit under wraps. But I actually uh, just know a little bit about it because I'm, I'm friends with, with Dr. Jim. So he is the founder of the Stanford Center of Compassion and Altruism Research. Um, and, and, and basically, the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu are the patrons there. And what it is, is the world's first science research centre to try and actually prove the science of compassion and what it can do for you and your and your longevity. And what they found is um, that, you know, the, oh, let me take you through the obvious stuff. So the act of caring either for yourself or others triggers what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. So when that is engaged is when we're at our healthiest. So you want to be, you know, spending time in the parasympathetic nervous system state um and the trick with compassion is that we can positively affect our health by consciously making a shift into compassion but it just takes some time and work so you know again thinking power hour style and daily habits with time and practice kindness and compassion can actually shrink the area of our brains associated with the fight flight or fight response which is the amygdala and when you shrink the size of that it can make room for other sizes other areas of the brain to increase in size which sounds a bit crazy but that is exactly the concept of neuroplasticity which is consciously being in control of how your brain develops which sounds a bit meta but is a scientific fact so being genuinely kind and compassionate can actually scientifically be proven to help us live longer and not only that there is now scientific evidence that's come out of that center to state that being kind and compassionate will do more to help you live longer and healthier than diet or exercise. So that is bewildering and unbelievable reason to actually say being kind is going to make me live longer, right? So all of this guilt that goes around food and exercise and all those things, you know, it's important to do those things, of course, but just put it into some perspective how being nice and decent to other people and to yourself can make a difference to how you live longer. It's phenomenal. So anyway, that's compassion. I'm a massive nerd on it. I honestly think it's incredible. Um, you know, I've, I've done work on my personal values and one of them is compassion. I've literally got like a, a habit tracker that I've created for myself in my journal every single day where, you know, I have to actually consider how compassionate I've been to someone else. So there are ways that you can obviously hack this into your life, but ultimately, you know, it starts with identifying what you want to achieve. And then slowly but surely, it's about building up little tiny habits that can compound. And for me, knowing the science of compassion, knowing that I actually feel like it makes me happy anyway, to be good and kind to other people, helps me make it a daily practice. And I know for a fact that I'm improving my own brain's health by doing it, which is great. I've got to be honest, like I'm, I'm, I would, I describe myself as basically 50% science and 50% spirituality. Um, and that's really important to me, but absolutely, I've spent so much of my time before discovering spirituality, which is a more recent discovery in my life over, I'd say the last seven or eight years, highly skeptical because all science. And so I spent a lot of my time just asking, sure, that sounds nice and fluffy, mate, but where's the science? Where's the evidence? So I really get that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I completely hear you. So, you know, and this is also, by the way, why, you know, when designing heights, 
like our whole website, every single piece of content we put out, um, every ingredient, like we always link to the science paper. We link, we are, uh, you know, there's no claims. You know, you talked earlier about claims, you know, we only do the claims that we can back by science and we put all the papers in and, and everything, you know, we're doing our own scientific research study on our own product as well, which is extremely rare for a supplement company. Um, we publish the findings halfway through as we're currently there now. I just think this stuff is really important. I do that for myself because the biggest industry problem, in my opinion, is trust, is low trust. Um, why would you believe that a supplement can work? You might do it because you're open-minded, sure, but why would you believe that it's going to make an impact on your health? Well, these things take time to prove. And I think the the best thing you can do as a brand is demonstrate that you are keen to do your research, that you hire science experts in your team, most importantly, and that your whole positioning is about having, you know, a brand tone that, yes, is fun and engaging and, you know, needs to be modern and all of these different things. But ultimately, it spouts trust as like the most important priority and that if you're doing anything to do with science is crucial so it's not just about saying kindness it's about proving kindness and then similarly you know we can come on to learning so you mentioned learning as another one that you thought was interesting so the reason we put that as one of our 10 brain care pillars is literally because what you know I sort of alluded to it earlier but neuroplasticity is this phenomenon of the brain's ability to adapt and change um you know a more flexible brain so think about yourself as either a growth mindset or fixed mindset and by the way you can change this too but the idea is if you have a growth mindset a more flexible brain you can learn and pick up new skills you can recover from brain injuries or disease easier you can adapt to new situations you can access your memory better and it can protect itself from cognitive decline and the brain is literally plastic right so you've seen these pictures of the brain being all pink and they're more gray but whatever um all pink and sort of looking flexible it literally grows and changes which is just so fascinating so the example that um i wrote when i was putting together the brain care principles was if you think about learning something new it provides an opportunity for a new neural connection to be con- created in the brain so if you take the word apple just for example The brain creates a new neural pathway between the visual of an apple, the word in your native language, the sound of the word in the new language, as well as the spelling of it, and then commits all of that to a memory that you can access whenever you need to say apple in that new language. So you can kind of see in that example how many new connections that would require an intense amount of attention um, like happen all at once. And that literally changes the brain's neuroplasticity. So the reason why it's important is literally because the brain, the brain's, you know, functionality, so to speak, is a case of use it or lose it. So if you are not learning, if you are not challenging yourself to do something new, if you are constantly just comfortable with the status quo and not doing anything new, you are literally putting your own brain at risk. And the most empowering thought in all of this is how quickly that can change. So you might have been doing this for all of your life and then suddenly hear this podcast and decide that today is the day that you're going to just pick up a book, watch a new YouTube channel. You know, this we live in a modern world. It doesn't have to be prescriptive. Like learning doesn't have to be boring. It could be anything. You might want to go and learn how to play tennis or chess or, you know, play a new game. But as long as you're doing something new, 
you're suddenly reactivating your brain and these new neural pathways fire together very quickly. And within the space of a month, you could actually be creating enough new neural pathways that you'll be feeling energetic again. And obviously the ways to make sure that you're feeding your brain are the things that you all know about, Adrienne. So, you know, sleeping, the right nutrition, obviously, hydration, breath work, etc. These all feed it. But if you're not learning, your brain's not growing. And that is a case of literally increasing, uh, thinking about it in terms of the speed at which it could be shrinking or the speed at which it could be growing. And that is a choice. No matter what people think about their self-limiting beliefs, it's a choice you can change at any day. And the most, honestly, the most exciting fact is you can still do this in your 70s and 80s and make a dramatic difference on your next decade. So it's never too late to start learning and it makes a massive impact on your life. Yes, that goes across so many things. And actually, you know, I start off the, for anyone who's read the Power Hour book or people who've listened to a lot of episodes will know that I could just talk and talk and talk about the growth mindset. I recommend Carol Dweck's mindset book to everyone because as you say, it's never too late. It's never too late in any aspect, whether it's, you know, changing your daily habits or, you know, changing your, your fitness or learning a new skill, a new, any, it's never, ever too late. And I think if anything, you know, when people really truly understand that you're not just born with a personality that dictates or you're not just born with a circumstance or a set of genes or parents or a school whatever you believe to be or that's what set me off on this path you where you start does not have to determine where you end and I think this neuroplasticity really the science of that again you know proving to people that it isn't too late and as you said if you continue to keep learning if you actively pursue learning I mean, what an amazing time as well to be alive, to be able to do those things because we have access literally to everything. Yeah, and to do those do those things in a way that you enjoy, right? As in like the child in you doesn't have to go, oh, learning's boring. It's like, there's no rule about how, what you need to learn as long as you're learning something. There's so many different ways to find out what you're interested in and then learn, it's awesome. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Power Hour and your morning routine, Dan, because I know that you've listened to the podcast before. I know you know all about my Power Hour, but I'd love to hear about how you start your day and what the first hour includes and what it doesn't include. Yeah, okay. So my first hour of the day. um, Okay. Honestly, it starts first thing with... So I always wake up with my cat, Archie. He's the boy. Uh, he's at the end of the bed and I let him know that I've woken up and the second I do that and I promise you this is like a daily thing the second I say Archie he basically wakes up and comes under the covers and comes for a cuddle for about 15 minutes Um, and I know that's like you know that's basically literally the best start to the day ever for me because I'm obsessed with it and so is he so we literally start the day with a 15 minute hug then I get up and the other cat, Bells, who never sleeps in my bed, um, she starts meowing because she wants food. So I go and feed them both. I know so far this isn't necessarily the most carpe diem, but it's certainly all adorable, fluffy and nice. Um, and from that point, I um, what I've been trying to do, but it really depends on my headspace, to be honest, but I've been trying to, I do two meditations a day. I either do one at lunch and one in the evening or I've been trying to do one in the morning and one at lunch. Um, and it's not 
overly consistent yet. And I think part of the reason for that is um, it's, it's honestly based on my diary. I also run two companies. So it also depends on if I've got like very early morning calls or not. But the one thing that I never, ever, ever miss is my morning walk. So I go for a walk for about an hour and a half first thing before anything. Um, that is really my power hour, to be honest. I head out to Regent's Park or Primrose Hill. Um, I circle it a bunch of times. Um, I have two things that I do. I either listen to a podcast or I listen to nothing whatsoever. And I just go for a completely clear thought process of just admiring nature. I do it whether it's raining or not. I'm very adamant about it. If you look at my Instagram, there's multiple photos of me in the pouring rain in this morning walk, but it is absolutely the most important thing I do on a daily basis. I'm really big in understanding routines, especially during the pandemic. And this one is like my absolute lifesaver. So that really is like the key to my power hour. I do, um, I worry about my exercise and everything else later on. I think really important worth sharing is, you know, my calendar can get very busy because, um, you know, I've got two podcasts, two companies, um, uh, a baby on the way and I'm moving house. So the whole thing gets very, very busy. So what I do is I schedule work. So I schedule deep work in my calendar, two hours a day. I schedule exercise in my calendar for 90 minutes a day. That's not 90 minutes to exercise. I'm not you, Adrienne. I can't push myself that hard. I do 30 minutes of exercise and then I give myself 30 minutes to sort of shower, zen out, give myself a bit of space. Um, And people think I'm a bit odd for this stuff, but like I, I give myself an hour in my calendar to nap, which I don't use that often if I'm honest, but if I do, then I nap during that time. And I demonstrate this stuff to my um, to my team all the time because I think rest is just one of the most important things. I know for a fact that I'm more likely to achieve more in my day by optimizing for two to four hours of extremely good productive work and an hour of rest, an hour of exercise, the walk and everything else. I know that to be true according to science and according to practice. And so I try and let my team know about that as well. It's not about working all hours of the day and all evening it's about trying to find the right balance to optimize your flow and get great creative output and therefore work output. So I know that wasn't, I know that was breaking the rules because I talked more about my whole day rather than my power hour, but my day does not start at all unless I've had that walk. And that's the key. No, I love that. And also the fact, thank you for sharing around, as you say, like modeling to your team, the importance of rest, the importance of exercise, movement, you, you know, you're ticking all those boxes, but not having to yeah I guess work to this structured frame idea that nine to five you know we've got to be available and we have to be connected and we have to be online and you know the deep work piece you know I know that I have to be in isolation to do my best work and that means real isolation so no phone no laptop not being online so no it's really really interesting lots of crossover actually between yourself and me Dan and I think that's why I yeah I'm such a fan of of the work that you do and the, the message that you share So last but not least, I've got a few quick fire questions for you. Now, both of us are quite long winded. So we're going to try and keep these quick, short and sweet. Good. Yeah, love it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. so the first question is, what is the best thing that you have bought for 100 pounds or less? And by best, I just mean something that you value, something you use, something you treasure for 100 pounds or less. You know, it's really pathetic, but actually (laughs) 
my collapsible coffee cup is the best thing ever because I just I love being able I you know I, I won't buy a coffee if I don't have a cup with me and I hate the rigid big ones so my collapsible coffee cup I even use it at home it was like four quid perfect four pounds you've got 96 left okay next question is what is the one book that you recommend everybody should read to be honest the one book that I recommend everyone to read over the last year has been rest by Alex Sujung Kim Pang last year the book I asked everyone to read was lost connections by Johan Hari brilliant thank you next question one piece of advice to anyone who wants to improve their morning routine and take care of their brain walk a daily walk in nature it has to be outside if you can it's like double double the benefits brilliant and my last question which i ask to every guest is all about time and all about the power hour so if i could give you one extra hour each day from now on you're going to have 25 hours in your day what are you going to use that extra hour to do 100 percent cuddling my cats and telling them how amazing they are They, they already get the first 24 hours they need the 25th as well brilliant thank you so much dan i've really enjoyed this conversation i know that the listeners of this show will have enjoyed it too so if you did then please do reach out let us know share it with anyone who you think might be interested to hear more from dan and to learn more about brain care and health so dan tell us where people can find you where can they find you your work and also heights Awesome. Uh, you can find me at Dan Murray Serta on everything on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Clubhouse, etc. And you can find Heights at uh, yourheights.com and at yourheights on Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. I highly recommend and encourage that you take a deep dive into Dan's work. He is, yeah, absolutely leading the way with this. And I'm, it's great to it's great to stay connected. And actually, I was um, made my clubhouse debut with you. You did. It was great. Yeah, I need to get you back, though. Yes, I'm yet to um, to dive back into that. But I, I, I need to, I'm sure. I, as, as a podcaster, I feel like, you know, I love to talk. So I need to, need to get back in there. Thank you so much, Dan. And thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, you can rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff have an awesome week thanks thanks dan hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.